Welcome to season three of the ASCA Viewpoints podcast, the podcast where we talk about the student conduct profession in higher education. I'm Alexandra Hughes, your Viewpoints host. Everyone and welcome back to the ASCA Viewpoints Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Alexandra Elise Hughes, and I hope everyone is doing well. We are making our way through November and uh, a lot's going on. A lot's changing. We've made it through the election. We have a lot that's coming up with the holidays. So, so a lot's happening in today's world. One of the things that's happening is unfortunately, we are seeing the number of COVID cases rise again in our country. And there's a lot of talks about a lot of things, including if we're going to be officially shut down again, what that looks like. Um, The perpetual state of wondering what's going on and what 2020 is uh, exists here as it has. And I feel every episode that we've talked about. But what I like about this episode is it's actually a throwback. So I had the opportunity to interview um, someone back in about April, uh, May at the time, I think it was the beginning of May, um, about COVID, social justice during COVID, housing, what that looks like. How can we make sure that we are being extremely intentional and, and get the resources that we need for our our students? How is this impacting international students? All of those types of things. Now, at the time, the episode didn't go out. Uh, You know, we were, things were changing, COVID, life, a, a lot of stuff was happening. But it was one that I knew would bring a lot of advice and information and intentional conversations to our audience and one that I knew that I would put out. That being said, I think now more than ever is the perfect time. Hopefully this episode can maybe... uh, serve as a reminder and take us back to kind of when we had been in this COVID thing for just a little bit of time, when I think there was a part of us that still thought that maybe we'd be opening up our fall semesters uh, at work and, you know, with the vaccine, whatever that might've been. And, you know, I think it reminds us of maybe the care that we had during that time that we may need to remind ourselves of now. You know, unfortunately, we have grown to become accustomed with living in a pandemic. I mean, it's almost been a year, right, since this has happened. And so with that, I think just out of survival, we get accustomed to a lot of things. And I really think this episode is good because it kind of takes us back a little bit to the things that we were realizing were working, the things that we realized were not working, and really put that into perspective. So the person that I interviewed uh, for this particular episode, um, you're going to just love, you're going to love her. She has a lot to say. Her name is Abdelise Vega, and she is, was a phenomenal person to interview. She's actually been working professionally uh, with college students for five years in various capacities, most recently being in that of residence life. She aims to center 
equity and inclusion in everything she does. And she truly believes in the power of disrupting the status quo. Abdulis earned her master's degree in student affairs at Colorado State, but is a Pennsylvania girl at heart. And so she returned home after her program and is currently at Penn State University working. Um, outside of work, Abdulis spends time on DIY and the latest Netflix dramas. And, you know, as I re-listened to this conversation that we had, I recognized that it was a reminder that I, there are some things that I probably need to go back to doing that I've forgotten a lot about in this process. Also, full disclosure, this was when I was obsessed with Tiger King. So there are quite a few Tiger King references <laughs> in this episode. And I can't believe that Tiger King was this year. I was truly obsessed with that show. I mean... Wow, this has been the longest year ever. Anyways, I hope that everyone's doing well. As always, thank you so much for listening and please stay tuned to our episode. We have a very special guest. If you want to introduce yourself for our listeners. Da, 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 da. Sure. My name is Abdelise. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you so much for being on the show. We are so excited to have you. We are excited to talk to you about all of the things that we need to talk about because there's a lot <laughs> of things going on in the world right now, to say the least. Okay. Right. So for our listeners who may not know who you are, could you please maybe share a little bit about your student affairs journey, how you got here, you know, and whatever you're comfortable with on a recorded podcast, of course. Uh, but yeah, we want to hear how did you get to like this moment? Right. So, um, so let's see, how did I get here? I think I have a story that's pretty similar to a lot of people in student affairs, um, super hyper involved students in undergrad. So I think I was everything except an orientation leader. I just couldn't do mornings. Like that wasn't the kind of work that spoke to me. Um, but I got really involved in an in undergrad. I went to East Stroudsburg University of Pennsylvania. So it's in the Poconos. Um, and I, I just, I didn't know what to, I wanted to do. I was like, what, what do I do after this? I'm on top of the world right now. I'm a student leader. I'm like, you know, living my best life and my mentors. So happened to convince me that I could keep doing exactly that for the rest of my life. If I went into student affairs, um, which I think a lot of us learn is uh, a little bit of a swindle. It's a little oh, bit yeah. of a switch. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I, I had no idea. I was just excited to kind of stay in college forever. Um, and so I decided to apply to a few schools and I didn't know what I was doing. I'm first gen, um, a first gen kid. So I was like, what is grad school? I can't afford to take the GREs, which ones won't require me to actually submit those scores. Um, so I had to finesse the system a bit and I got into Colorado State University. So moved across the country and um, I loved it. Like I, I loved living in Colorado. Um, it was an amazing experience. It was difficult at the time because I'm an East Coast girl. I'm in I grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania um, in a city called Reading. People know about it because it's on the Monopoly board. I was like, yeah, I, okay. So I didn't want to say it, but now yeah. that you said it, I feel better. All right. 
Yeah. Yeah. My entire, so it's a very like, um, it's like a small urban city. Like most of the population is black and brown, Latinos, African-Americans. And, um, and so my entire world was that, like, I didn't know that Pennsylvania was a predominantly white state until I went to college. Okay. Um, Like had no idea. Um, and then I moved to Colorado and I was like, what in the world? I don't know what is happening here. What is a craft brew? Um, there's Mexican food everywhere and I had never really experienced that. So that was huge. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went to school there for two years and then, um, the job search was difficult. I think it is for a lot of people. So, um, you know, I had applied everywhere and at some point just kind of, uh, landed back in Pennsylvania at a small private liberal arts school doing residence life. Um, and then a year after that, I came to Penn state university, which is where I'm at right now doing residence life, um, level coordinator position, but you're in res life. And I mean, as a former res life person, and I say I'm reformed because like, it was like, whoo, like it's a lot, my goodness. I do not like, I always say, you know, I miss the students. I don't (laughs) miss like being on call and all of that. (laughs) time like my goodness but it is it's also a very um rewarding job I will say that um in so many different ways okay so that's how you got here so obviously right like it's not student conduct completely but it's student conduct related right and I think that's one of the great things um and why I really wanted to have you on our show because I think so much of the work that we do in student conduct we're liaisons with other offices right and so that liaison role especially in like housing is I mean like we're best friends like it's back to back it's what's going on in housing student conduct like that's probably one of the most important relationships that we have and we see the impact of what happens you know with our students whether it's the, you know, the situation that happened at 3 a.m. And then now we're working together the next day to work the student through our student code of conduct process or whatever that may be. So I love it. And I think a lot of people can learn from, you know, just your wealth of knowledge. So I'm just so glad that you're here on the show um, with us. So talk to us about like COVID-19 and how are you doing right now? Let's start there. Like, how are you doing how are you maintaining your sanity if you are able to? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the first, like the first week I was like, this is, this is, you know, cute or whatever. We're at home. You know, we're, we're saving the world by staying home. Um, we're going to figure this out. We're going to Martha Stewart this a bit. And then, um, when the reality really started to set in, I think things got pretty difficult. So I think it was a little, it was rough for a couple of weeks there. Um, but I'm really grateful to finally be in a place where I'm like kind of leveling out, finding the routine and what life is right now. I almost like, I have this visceral reaction to calling this the new normal. I, I don't want to call it that. Um, but where we're at right now, I finally feel like I'm in a good place because I'm starting to figure out where I fit in with um, my community. Right. And so I've been really reaching out to people, connecting with people and staying connected with people who are helping me feel like I can just be afloat and exist in a way that's as healthy as it can be right now. Right. Um, so we're, you know, stepping away from the natural thing that feels like, let's just have a bottle of wine to really cope and just saying, how about we just talk to a few friends and (laughs) finally kind of in that place and it feels good. Okay. So like, what if I still have the bottle of wine? Like, am I, you know, is that okay? (laughs) You know, I, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the place where I'm doing both. How about we say that? It's no longer just the wine. It's wine and friends. Absolutely. 
probably more wild. Okay, just wait. Right. <laughs> you know, we're just going to book and doing our best. Okay. And you know, yeah. doing our best is all that we can hope for. And I, I mean, during this time, I think you're right. As we go day by day and like week by week, mm-hmm. it's interesting how now, even for me, I'm like, oh, like this now feels and not that any of this feels normal but I know that like the very first week I had terrible headaches I couldn't concentrate like literally the physical result of that and what that looked like and now it's more like okay like I have a routine I have like you said a space in my community and so I think that definitely it definitely helps um have you found that you've done any things like I don't know walking outside or like baking things or what have you found to be your, your, your COVID-19 quarantine getaway strategies? Yeah. So I don't go outside. I actually have, I'm what they consider high risk because I have asthma. And so I do not go outside unless like I'm, I'm going for a drive maybe. Um, and so we, we kind of stay in the house, but the house is small. And so we actually do go for drives every so often. Um, we are intake of HGTV has just, it's astronomical, um, how much we've been watching that. Thank you so much. Um, so we'll hop in the car actually. And with the doors, with the windows rolled down, um, we, we probably seem really creepy to our neighbors. Um, we'll drive through neighborhoods really slowly. I'm like, oh, that's a craftsman. Oh, that's a colonial. Oh, I think we want that kind of, right? Like just envisioning our life off campus and buying home. <laughs> We're like, oh, I think I want that kind of porch. Like that is like a silly thing that we do. And the neighbors look at us like, are you, what are you doing? And it's so you know, we just yell hello from the car and just say, we're just, we're just driving about. I, I know it sounds insane, but for us, it's really fun of like, hmm, I don't really like what they did with those windows there. Maybe, maybe we can do something different. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it. You know, sometimes you have to live vicariously like through things. And at least now when this whole COVID-19 thing is over, you will already be ready, right? Like you're already prepared to put together the house of your dreams and you know what the porch, the windows, everything's going to look like. So I'm here for it. Like use your time wisely. I feel like you are. I'm prepared to do like flooring, to put in new windows. Roofing. It's a thing. Yeah. And that's what matters, right? So now we all have like developed skills and you have developed yours. So, (laughs) hey, this was, this was a good thing. All right. So since we're talking about like this world of COVID-19 and all of that and the things that you're passionate about, like roofing and, you know, floors and porches, Mm -hmm. you know, I know one thing that you're also very passionate about is social justice and equity. Um, And I think it's a very interesting conversation around social social justice and equity in COVID-19 and Mm -hmm. what that looks like, because one, like none of us have ever been through a global pandemic before. And then two, how does that change what we know, what we're striving for, what that looks like? There's so much there. So maybe could you possibly talk about, you know, what is equity and justice and what it means to you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there's been so much conversation. And I think with a lot of us, we've all kind of turned inward. Um, Well, a lot of us have turned inward and trying to figure out like, what does this mean for me? How am I coping? How do I deal? Um, And I think there's been a lot of folks who immediately thought to others. And so it's amazing that we have um, both kinds of humans in the world trying to do their best for themselves and for others. Um, And in student affairs specifically, I think it's really interesting to see what conversations have come up about social justice, equity, inclusion, um, because 
we often find ourselves really stuck at those like 001 level concepts of diversity inclusion, right? Like this is why you shouldn't touch your coworker's hair, right? Or this is why you maybe shouldn't say something mean or rude or how that's an uninclusive. Um, And I think that's particularly true for a lot of us who are at maybe predominantly white institutions or at institutions that are more rural, whatever that might mean. And I think now this entire pandemic is forcing people to think a little bit harder about what the truth could be for some people at home. So we're thinking, and I hope more people are thinking um, equity-minded, right? We're thinking more about what does it mean to be just um, in a time where, gosh, we we can't put eyes on our students. Um, one of the philosophies that we run on here in, in residence life at this institution particularly is like, you need to put eyes on the situation. You need to have seen that student, spoken to that student, you know, been in the same aura as that student in order for us to make sure that things are okay. But that's not true anymore. So um, when we're, it's not true because we, we don't have them here. We, we have maybe 500 students here out of the 15,000 that lived on campus. So we're having to ask questions and, um, and engage about things that I don't, I don't think that we know what we're walking into, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Oh yeah. So when we talk about equality, everybody's saying we, we all have the same thing. Right. And I think we stay on that equality plane a lot here because we're like, well, we all know that you all live in this residence hall. This is what we provide you. So you all should be on level ground. Right. There might be some changes here or there, but we should all be working from the same playing field. And now we're having to think equity-minded in that we're talking to our students. We're still doing conduct meetings from when they were here. Um, We're still engaging with them virtually. And we're having to think, okay, what's happening? What could be possibly happening at home? We don't know what's going on. So how do we move from everybody has the same thing to ensuring everybody has what they need to be successful? Um, and that is the big difference when we talk about equality and equity is not just we're all, we all have the same thing. It's everybody has what they need to be successful. And so we've been having to ask those questions and have that conversation of do students even have internet access at home? We're sitting here talking about doing online trivia to get them engaged, right? To get them engaged, to justify why we're still being paid as employees and et cetera. But like, do they even have internet access? Are they having to become caregivers at home? Are they working in essential jobs right now? Um, what, what does home even look like? Are they staying with friends? Are they international students who can't get home? Um, so when I'm thinking about uh, equity and justice, we're thinking about, once again, how do we get people what they need to be successful? But then also, how are we trying to remove barriers and build systems that go to the root cause of things, right? So not just saying, hey, let's all, you know, donate food to the food bank. We're asking the question, why are people hungry? And what can we do? What systems do we need to build? What barriers do we need to remove to to prevent us from even needing food banks the way that we do? All right, episode over. That was fantastic. I'm glad everyone... (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. So let's, let's unpack that, right? And so I think the first part in unpacking that and really looking at what you're saying is... Let's start with the whole fact that we're going online internet, right? I think that the world, the world went online, right? And it happened so fast. You know, I think there was something that I talked about uh, before where it says we had planned by 2030 to be functioning this in this completely online space. Well, 2030 happened in 2020 and it happened in like two weeks, right? Like March 1st, we were good by March like 10th. We're 
online in our homes? What does that look like? And so the first thing that I think we did as universities, as businesses, as people just everywhere in life was say, okay, great. We're going to go online. How do we move our in-person brick and mortar platforms to being online, virtual telemarketing spaces? And then how do we function and do our day-to-day functions of say our office in this virtual world. And I think that's the thing that so many businesses, universities, professors, whatever we thought about. But like you said, what does home look like? I know that there is a big thing where there's so many students that are homeless, that are living in their cars and going to school. And you would never, ever know. They're, you know, the first, they're obviously the last person in the parking lot. It's the first person in the parking lot. They're going into the gyms. They're showering. They're, they get their workout in, quote unquote. They shower. They're at the, you know, dining hall. They have their day. They're doing everything. And you would never even know that they're homeless. So what about those students, right? Like you said, the international students. Mm-hmm. Internet. Do people have Internet. Do people have the devices to be able to get on the internet? So there's so many different things. And I think that's looking at privilege, right? Mm-hmm. That we just, I think not intentionally, but we just forgot about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's something, you know, it's either we forgot about it or people just don't, um, a lot of us don't think about what we don't know. Right. And so when we talk about, um, you know, engaging students online or helping them transition to being online. I don't think that a lot of, um, I think the default right now, right? A lot of times when we talk about the default person, when you think about lawyer, doctor, judge, you think um, wealthy white man, perchance, right? We think about college student. I think a lot of um, America thinks of solidly middle-class um, student from a two-parent household who has support. Maybe they have a side job, a work-study job to help them, I don't know, get a few drinks on the weekends. But otherwise, they're pretty good, right? They're just, their kids living their best lives, trying to get an education. Um, and I think that's, I think that's probably the most harmful part, um, of COVID-19 right now. And how we imagine what our students are going through is even us as student affairs professionals who see this and know that that's not true. Sometimes our brains automatically default to, oh, they're fine. They're just in their childhood room. And the worst that's possibly happening is that maybe their siblings annoying them. Right. Um, but what needs to happen is we need to start embracing the narratives and also the lived experiences of the professionals who come from those diverse experiences because they're going to be the best people to to help us navigate and get creative in serving our students who are also coming from those spaces. So think about our colleagues who are coming from first gen, low income, um, you know, racially, ethnically diverse spaces, all of that, disabilities, um, you, anything that you can think of, those colleagues are going to be the colleagues that really need to be shining right now because we need to be centering folks at the margin so that we can serve our folks at the margin um, with them in mind. And so when I'm thinking about our, our students, you know, I was heavily, rec- I was recruited from my university as an undergrad. Um, it's a state school that is very much so prides itself in having one of the highest percentages of diversity um, because they heavily recruit in inner cities in Pennsylvania, in south um, in southeast Pennsylvania, um, so Philadelphia, Reading, Allentown. They're really recruiting these kids, and they get those numbers, and that's great. But a lot of us were just plopped up from these spaces, thrown into the mountains of Pennsylvania, and said, "Okay, you're in college. 
do your best. <laughs> right. Can students really be successful with that? Right. Oh, right. Right. And see, and that's in person. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was oh. difficult in person. Oh my God. Um, that was difficult with, you know, having my resident director notice that I was struggling. That was difficult with having the director of multicultural affairs, you know, point us out and pick us out of the crowd. So imagine what that means for us at home right now. I think there's a lot of things that we're missing. There's, there's so many things that we're missing. And I think there's a fear of asking as well. And I think we need to get past that, that discomfort with awkward, which I think res life professionals are really good at. We're, we're good at being awkward. Um, but we need to get past that potential awkwardness because we need to figure this out so we can best support people. So then why do you think people are awkward and scared to have that conversation, right? Like why, why do you think that is that people just don't want to ask? Is it that we are too scared to know the truth? Um, I wonder if it's, it's that, I think it's also, um, a discomfort and having to face your own privilege. Maybe I think that's part of it. I think there is a sense of, um, helplessness that's involved. So I've had just a couple conduct cases, um, digitally and yes, I'm, I'm calling these kids to talk about their alcohol violation, their, their guest policy violation. But really right now in this time, I don't, I don't care about that very much. So I'm starting all of my meetings with, where are you right now? Are you at home with family? Are you safe? Do you have everything that you need? Um, okay. So you're in New York. I know you guys are shut down. Do you guys have groceries? Is there anything that we can do to help? So I'm asking these, these few questions because whatever we can do to help, we're a large institution, we can figure it out um, and how to support our students. Um, but, you know, I'm asking that first and then we'll talk about, okay, you, you got a little drunk a couple months ago and we found you in the bushes. Let's discuss that. <laughs> discuss, right. Um, the sad but, part is nowadays, look, we all need to be a little drunk into the bushes. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Soon enough, I'll have my own um, case, but yeah, it's, you know, at this point, I think those uncomfortable questions need to be asked because we need to prioritize the safety and security of our students over our own comfort. Right. If it makes you squirm, lean into that and figure that out offline, because when you get online with these students, you need to be all in. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it, too, the hardest thing, and I'll just say this as, you know, all these conduct cases I've had. One, I I appreciate what you're saying, because that's how I start mine off. I've literally spent, you know, I think more time, even more than the exceptional amount of time that I would spend in my office just talking to students. I've talked about everything from Tiger King. Like, I mean, and Carol Baskin, who I truly believe did it with students. I mean, you name it, I'm talking about it. And I have to say, you know, it's also hard too because I can't just take the student downstairs to the counseling office. I can't just sit there and hand them tissue when they're crying. I can't just do that. And that's really, really hard, right? And I think people often think that in conduct, we're heartless. We're not. Like, we care. I think there's a level of, like, having to realize for us, it's like, you know, processes, policies, all these things, right? And yes, it may take a special person to do conduct, but, like, we care. And so for me to be on a screen, and then also part of it is to know that I have to still proceed for it with this process. And typically, and I'm sure if you were to ask my supervisor right now, he would tell you, Alexandra has tried every way to get out of having to like, say, suspend a student online right now. Like, I'm just like, well, like, is there a way that I can kind of like, I mean, fully aware. And, you know, I understand my job and what that is, but I'm like, if there's any way around this in this moment in time, I'm trying to look for it because I've had to sit on Zoom and to do this with a student. And that was just, it was a lot. 
And it really, really was because it's like, it's already a lot in the office. It's already a lot when we're face to face. We're here. I can take you downstairs. I can do what I need to do. But I'm on a screen. So even things that I've done, like connecting um, with the counseling office, so they know that when I have a meeting with the student that, that we can still, and yes, we're doing it in this virtual space, but again, it's a virtual space, right? So talk to me a little bit about, I know that you do work um, with like international students, right? Um, and I think maybe the question is like, what do we as student affairs professionals need to take into consideration when we're telling students to like, just go home or to work from home? And international students, right? Like, how is that? Oh, yeah. So the area that I oversee specifically here is our graduate student family housing with some undergrads. And a lot of my grad students are international students and my family's here. Um, And so it's interesting to see how many folks have have genuinely gone back to their home country, whether their country has mandated it or whether they just felt like it was safer there because maybe their country has a better healthcare system or whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, So folks who can afford it and who are able to, they've been going home. But I, but most of the students that we have left here, you know, I would say most of the students that we have across campus, about half of them are my students who are families, grad students who consider this place their permanent home. Um, And then the other half is almost you know, majority international students who just can't get home. Right. And so one of my student staff members, he is from China. He's supposed to be graduating in May. He really wanted to be able to go home. He's had his flight canceled four times. He can't get home. Oh my goodness. There's no way for him to get back to China. Um, and everybody who was in his apartment, they've all gone home. They're domestic students. So he's been living here on campus in his building. I think he's the only person in his entire building, um, can't get home to China. And he, like the other night I had to just, I had to FaceTime him and help him cook a steak. Cause he's never cooked. He was depending on his meal plan. Right. And, um, so depending on his meal plan, depending on being able to, um, order food and kind of do all of that. I think he skipped meals cause he was in the lab so much. Um, <laughs> like honestly, but now he's home. He's like, uh, I know I'm the only person here, but I set off the alarms in the entire building. I, I realized I don't know how to cook. Can you help? <laughs> right. So, I mean, obviously there's a spectrum of the needs of our students. It's sometimes it's, I need to help FaceTime somebody, um, to help them cook a steak. And sometimes it's somebody's not in a safe situation and we need to be safety planning. Um, so I think there's a, there's a spectrum there. So let's talk about that, the safety planning part. Right. And I think that's something that a lot of us have thought about and this idea of we're home because it's safe. Right. But for not everyone is home a safe place. So what does that look like for our students and how do we support our students who we are assuming can get online, can do all these things, can have a safe space. But what if, what if they can't because home's just not a safe place. How does that look? How do those conversations go? Have you had to have some with some safety plans? Um, yeah. So actually right when all of this started, I think it was maybe a week or two into, you know, stay at home orders and everything. One of the calls that I had to respond to was a domestic violence situation, um, because I have families here. And so it was actually really, it was terrifying because it's been an ongoing situation, but it was also scary because as we're working to help this student, um, whose spouse is abusive, both physically and verbally and who have you, and who also has two small children living in the home, um, we couldn't get a, we couldn't get a hold of the local domestic violence shelter. 
We, because they're, they're not running at a hundred percent. Are they open right now? Right. No. So they're, they're open, but with a caveat, right? Okay. So we were struggling to get a emergency protection order. We were struggling to get the resources that they needed. And then we realized most of our, um, our areas that have all the keys, some of them were working on, you know, different hours. So how are we going to get them into an emergency space with two small children? And so there was so much to consider. Um, and so when we were safety planning, you know, I think that was the first time that I realized like, Oh, our response is going to look different because all of the resources aren't the same anymore. Um, and, and what does that look like? So we had to have some conversations about that as a staff of, okay, so what resources do we know for a fact are going to be able to answer the phone? Who do we need to be working with? Are we, com- are we collaborating with our gender equity center to be getting some webinars out maybe um, to be working with our, our center for um, sexual uh, and gender diversity office? Are we working with them? So we've had to get creative, but also I think it's been learning in the moment. And that was a tough way to learn in the moment. Um, right. right? That's hard. I mean, that's not, those are situations that you want to learn at the moment. Right. I think that we have so many years of, you know, experience of, and I think that's part of it. We all, we both know from housing, we both know from conduct, we both know from working in student affairs, you know, we can plan something all day long. It doesn't mean it's going to go like that. But the difference is we have a wealth of knowledge to pull from and we can really navigate through that. But we don't have a wealth of knowledge of what to do in a pandemic. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter if we have these crisis safety. Like this is something. And then who do I call to say, hey, mentor, you know, 20 years ago when you dealt with that pandemic, what did you do? I mean, none of us have experienced that. So there is really nothing to pull up, pull from. And we are learning in the moment. And although in some cases that's okay, in some cases it's not. And that's scary. Yeah. You know, I said, I was joking with a friend recently. I said, you know, some of us are going to be forced to take out um, the partner resume that says that we're really good at crises. And some of us better put that line in, right? Some, because it's really showing kind of like where our weaknesses are, but you know, even in that situation, right, that the um, domestic violence situation, it, it, they were also international students. So then we're talking about like the embassies closed. And so how do we work with the embassy? How do we work with global programs? Like, right, how do we, this person is a PhD student and has two small children and still has to do this while kicking out a spout, like it was insane. And so we had to get creative of like, well, fine, if we can't get into here, then we'll get into here and we'll get a bed from here. We'll get linens from there. And right. And it was just this, um, this kind of mindset of, we will work with what we got and make it happen because we still need to service these students. They're still here. I think the one thing that was kind of, um, was kind of difficult was how do I manage keeping myself safe and then also servicing my students. So I'm in an apartment, um, where this situation is happening. There's multiple police officers. There's an angry, you know, potentially violent person. There's some, there's children, nobody's wearing masks, right? And we're all in the same place together and we're all trying to figure things out. So at what point do we, what do we prioritize in that moment? I think a lot of people are being forced to consider that as well. Um, And so I think that's been a little difficult. I mean, it's hard, right? Because if you think about the fact, like if we, let's take it out of even this situation, if we're looking at what this idea of essential workers are, right? So let's put, put aside doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals, because we know that they are the, at the utmost front lines of this, but also people that are, 
are, you know, working at Walmart, working at all these places that we have to go to, to get our food, to get our groceries. And they are subjecting themselves every day to these situations um, because it's like, well, like whether it's job, whether it's money, like what that looks like. Right. And so perfect example. Here you are in this position where we have an essential situation, but at what point and what do I do and what's right and what's wrong? And I think that's the other thing. I don't think that there's a right or wrong in this. I think there is a we can only do the best that we can and we're going to try. And maybe it's more so holding on to certain principles or morals or values, right? Because what I love, and I think Christine and I talked about this on the show on um, the episode from before, where we said what we're seeing more than anything, typically our field is like inundated with like, what does the policy say? Lawsuit prevention, we're not going to do this, right? And there's always a level of that there, but I think now it's more so like, what do we do for the good of each other and humanity? And like, what is right in this situation? And I think that's what I've been defaulting to just like period. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think um, in a lot of ways it's been great because we've had to suspend um, a lot of our beliefs of like, what should we do per the policy? Per, right. I think a lot of it has brought it out, brought us um, to a more humanistic approach of what is right what is right? How many people are, you know, to whose benefit, how many people are going to be impacted by this? What can we do? And, you know, I think it's important that you talk about the essential worker piece. A lot of our students are essential workers, right? And so to, to call back to what you were saying, you, you were asking me earlier about like, what does it mean to tell our students to go home and make it work? You know, some of our students are able to go home. Maybe they live in a McMansion. Maybe they have everything they need. Maybe everything is great. And they're on their Zoom class from their pool. I don't know. Good for them. That's awesome. But a lot of our students who live off campus, for example, their landlords aren't stopping rent. Right. And maybe that's the only home that they have. Maybe they don't have a home or a family to go back to. And so a lot of our students are essential workers, whether they're EMS professionals or whether Coldstone, Coldstone is still open downtown. Somehow that's been deemed an essential business. And a lot of us, um, I think there's a lot of conversation of, well, you know, if it's your safety or your job, then just prioritize your safety. It's easier said than done. How are you going to eat? How are you going to pay for a place to live? And I think that's, again, going back into that place of privilege that we talked about before, you know, yes, it's easy for me to say as I, as I Zoom you from the comfort of my home right now, right? But... I know that and thank goodness and I'm thankful. And, you know, of course, our whole world of student affairs every day is just we don't know. But as of today, I have a position, right? As of today, I know that I have a paycheck in which I can work from home that I am getting. But it's not as simple as just saying, well, prioritize your safety because safety, if we're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, is also a place to live, food to eat, a roof over your head, like all of those things. And another thing, too, is our students Maybe they're the only person in the house that can work. So this whole idea of when our business hours are eight to five, we're going to Zoom you online. Um, yeah, they can't. And I, I, you know, I think what I've, what I've really, or where I've really seen this the most is with professors. I think more so than anything, um, maybe I'm just like, Hey, student affairs, we know our things. And I think we do. Um, but I have, found some people in student affairs where we've had to really have this conversation of what's feasible. But with professors, they're saying, well, I'm keeping everything during the normal hours of my class time. Why can't they just get on? Why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? 
and really having to break down like, now, wait a second, you know, yeah. this student doesn't have access like you think they do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, you know, like you said, we're all doing the best that we can. We have to think about the spectrum of student that we have. I have students who are parents of multiple children. I have students who are, um, you know, in their recovery of substance abuse. I actually have a, you know, I have a chunk of students that I have living in apartments here who live there specifically because they are all in a recovery journey from substance abuse. We know that isolation can really impact somebody's recovery journey. And so if they're not, you know, if they're not logging in at 2 p.m., sometimes there's a bigger issue at play. We need to be considering what people are going through. Um, And I think that it is hard to kind of explain that to some of our colleagues who might be working on the other side of, uh, you know, in academic affairs of, you know, life is not as normal. Life is not as normal for a lot of people. Some people need to prioritize picking up groceries and getting paid via Instacart because they need a place to stay. And maybe your class is not the priority right now, even though, right, it's important. They need to pass it. That's what they're paying for. But as you said, Maslow's, right? They need to be able to have a place to eat, to sleep, uh, you know, all of those things. Um, And I don't think that's being thought of a lot. And even the fact that, and I think this was a story that I think you had shared that, you know, there's, someone who literally just said all I did today was make sure that my kids were like fed. Like that's, and that's all that I had the capacity to do. And quite frankly, I say, that's great. You know, I think we see these things online that say, well, you know, you've always said that you needed time to, to do this and now you have time. So if you just couldn't do it, it's because you don't have the initiative. And I, I completely disagree with that. I think that that is a space of being able to say, and this is something that I've repeated. I say, We're not just working from home because it's fun. We're working from home because it's dangerous to be outside. We are in the middle, like words matter and order matters. We are at home in the middle of a global pandemic because we have to be here, because it's dangerous, like you say, immunocompromised, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, while trying to work. Right. And I think if people can understand that, it will make such a significant difference. You know, just getting up. I think we, we're all looking at these. Our institutions are making us sure productivity. I've had days where I'm like, I, I survived today. Like, that's literally like, I just, I lived. I've survived because, you know, today was hard, right? And then the other things that we're not thinking about, you know, I can speak from personal experience. I lost a loved one during this time, not to COVID-19, but it was as a result of COVID-19 that I couldn't go to the funeral. I couldn't go be with my family. I couldn't, I couldn't be with my family. I couldn't hug you, the people that I needed to hug and love. And so what does that look like in grief and in grieving when you can't be there to, to say goodbye? Like there's so many pieces and intricacies that this isn't just <laughs> It's um, so so two things, really. Right. Because I think there is a I think there is a reality about mental health that we need to be talking about Um, a lot of, you know, we have to consider the physical realities. Right. Um, Obviously, of what's what's going on. Are people safe? Do they have sheltered? Are they, you know, in a home where people can afford the extra mouth? But we also need to be talking about the mental health capacity as well. One of the things I've done to really just kind of um, save myself, (laughs) um, Uh I've muted and unfollowed friends, um, accounts, whatever. Anybody who says the word productivity, 
I've muted you. I don't need that type of negativity <laughs> in my life. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and reported the amount of people that say like, if you don't have a new hobby, a new side hustle, if you're not, if you don't have a new language under your belt, it's because you lack discipline. I'm like, this is not the time. Okay. It's not the time or the place I have removed everybody. I've also removed the people who just simply aren't following the rules. People who are still hanging out together, who are still getting together. And I have people in my circle and to me, I felt like that's really made me feel even more isolated socially of like, wow, do you not care about me or other people? About or, your well-being, yeah, right? What is this about? Um, and so I've removed those people from my my virtual space, if you right. will. Um, but when I think about the mental health aspect, so in residence life, you know, we are first responders in so many ways. And so some of us do have counseling degrees and credentials, but most of us don't, but we're doing informal counseling all of the time. So at least once, twice, three, four times a week, I'm responding to kids who don't want to live anymore, who are having their first panic attack and think it's a heart attack, who have, you know, who this is their, you know, second or third attempt at ending their life. And that's during the normal school year when we're all here where we can see them. Right. And so when my student staff says, hey, my, you know, Karen down the down the hall has been acting odd. She's just I haven't seen her eating, whatever it is. Um, Can we just check in on her? We have all of these systems in place to be that intervention for our students. What intervention exists for them now? Right. And so when we talk about being, you know, when professors are being just as hard and tough as they were beforehand, when we're still handing out, you know, when we're still not providing grace, when they're not responding to emails and when we're not engaging and asking those basic questions to to ensure that they're okay, um, I think we're really missing a mark here. This pandemic in and of itself is bringing up a lot for people. People are having to be at home with themselves or having to deal with some scary things. I can't even imagine the students in New York with their going through, you know, it's like an epicenter in our country. People are dying, you know, and, and they still, you still want them to log in and, and care about that, that essay right now. They just lost multiple family members. You know, they might, you know, so there's just a lot at play here. Um, and we need to also recognize that the, the invisible part, right. The invisible impacts. Right. And I think that's like, and it, it's hard because I don't know if any of us have the answers. Right. But I think what we can do and what we can say is just care. Like just, just care. And maybe that's the, that's the answer, right. And what we're saying, because I think these conversations are happening in different spaces. And I think more people are starting to realize that, you know, and, and like totally okay with the fact that when this was going on, it was the best thing that we could do. Like hurry up, get online. We can make sure like, and it was truly from a place of great. We have this online virtual world. We're going to get online. We're going to make things happen. We're going to do that. And I don't think there's any fault in that or, you know, at all. And I, I think that we've shown that. I think the next step is saying, okay, now let's care a little bit more because again, people are not going to remember what you say. They're going mm-hmm. to remember how you make them feel. Right. And, you know, if we can just make our students feel like we care a little bit, and I hope that we all do if we're in this field, you know what I mean? But again, if it's taking extra time, extra moments to help them, I mean, let's do it. You know, I know yesterday after work, um, because I was in Zoom meetings all day, I had a student reach out to me who I've worked with over the past four years say, you know, Alexandra, can you please help me? I have an interview like coming up. What does that look like? Like, How do what does that look like? It's coming. It's in this time. Can I meet with you? 
I said, let's do it at five. He's like, that's after hour. Like, are you, I said, don't worry about it. I want to help you. Like that's after five. And I was on the phone with him, helping him go through it. Let's talk about questions. Let's talk about things. Let's practice. And we're scheduled. He's like, can we practice? I said, let's practice. We're going to practice on the weekend. We're going to practice on Saturday. Right. Like, and I know that. And you, and again, boundaries are important. I'm not telling people to go outside of it. I'm not saying do that forever. I'm not, but what I can say is, you know, for all of us, if we can help in little ways, like, Oh yeah. And you know, I think, um, it, our care can look different now and that's okay. Um, I've been saying a lot since this started is like the rules are made up. The points don't matter. Like life is just bizarre right now. Do whatever you can. And so I'm very clear about my boundaries with my students, especially working in residence life. Um, I, whew, you need to have boundaries to be successful, I think. Um, and so when I said, Hey, you know, FaceTime me. I'll help. I'll, I'll, I'll work you through cooking yourself a steak. He's like, are you sure? Because I know you said that like, you know, you know, FaceTime is inappropriate and this. And I was like, listen, you need to eat. It's fine. I will like, it's not a big deal. Just FaceTime me. We're going to figure this out together. I've had some students texting me and they're just like, are you sure this is okay? Cause usually that's a no zone oh, for me. Yeah. <laughs> because the world is upside down. You know, I think about it like the airport, right? So back, you know, before this, when we used to fly to the airport, the good thing about the airport is you don't know what time of day it or night it is, right? Depending on where you fly. So you can drink in the morning at night. We keep going back to drinking. Maybe I need to have a different reference, but it's okay. I think we all can resonate with this now. It's like, you can go get mimosas like at five in the afternoon at five in the, like doesn't matter and I kind of feel like we're all living in our own little version of being in the airport where rules don't make sense people are dressed up or they're in pajamas they're sleeping they're awake it's some people are wearing scarves and hats and like boots and other people are wearing flip-flops and I think that that is the perfect example of our world currently and that's okay and do what feels right. Right. Like I am not one of those people in an airport who can just like fall asleep, open mouth on the floor of the airport floor. Um, but like, I am one of those people who will have a beer at 10 AM because I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's going on. We're just doing what we can. Okay. In the Um, magical space of the airport. And you know, I feel like that's our world. We're in, we're in the airport right now and that's okay because we can't be in the airport right now. Literally we will be in the airport figuratively. Absolutely. And we're all just trying to, we're just trying to stay afloat, right? For those of us who are lucky to still have our jobs, still have a paycheck. Um, and, and some of, and some folks might consider that lucky and some might not depending on how their institutions are responding. But, you know, for those of us who still need to engage with folks, our students, um, I think that we're, we're doing the best we can. And when we realize that we could be doing better, don't sit in it. Don't sit in it for, don't sit in it for too long. Just do better for the next one. Right. Just keep trying to do the best you can while recognizing that you're not working at hundred percent. And if you are, how, first of all, drop the how to, yeah, <laughs> drop the tutorial. Right. But our students aren't doing their best either. Um, because sometimes they just can't. So just keep going, right? Like just keep doing the next best thing that you can do. I think that's like a reference to Frozen or something like that. I mean, I'm here for it. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> not a singer. Not doing that. Mm-mm. Well, I love it. Well, I think that you've provided just, I mean, it's been a wonderful conversation to have you. You have given people, oh my goodness, just so much I think to think about. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share with our listeners? Oh, um, oh my gosh. 
No, you know, I think we really, we hit, a, we hit a ton of things. I think if anything, give the grace where you can, um, ask the deeper questions and for, for goodness sake, stop asking, how are you? No one is well, right? Ask, you know, don't be afraid to lean into the awkward and ask the heavy hitters, because honestly, that's where we're going to find out that where we can be intervening the best that we can. So don't be afraid to get a little messy with this. Okay. Well, we will be Miss Frizzle in the magic school bus and we'll get messy. And I'm <laughs> here for that. Okay. Well then wonderful. So as I always ask everyone on our show, is there a podcast, a song, a book, a, you know, I don't know anything that's giving you life right now that you think that our listeners need to know and people need to get into to help them through quarantine times. Mm, yes. Um, so I have been definitely reverting back to my childhood coping, which is Harry Potter. I'm a total okay. Nerd. Um, so I've been rereading those books and I encourage anybody to just like dive back into whatever magical world of your choosing to just escape for a little bit. Um, so that's been really great for me. But when I am, uh, when I grow up a little bit, when my brain's nah. ready, nah. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of uh, TV. So I recently watched Rami. I don't know if you've ever okay. heard no. it's on Hulu. Okay. Um, basically just follows the life of a Muslim American guy um, who is in North Jersey and it's hilarious. It is okay. it's so funny. It's on Hulu. Um, and insecure just recently came back. So I've been watching that on HBO. So Tiger King on Netflix. Oh, I, I watched that ages ago. That's I know old. that was the beginning. See, that was actually perfect for the beginning of quarantine because I was like, <laughs> what is life? And it was just great to watch. Um, so we need to probably do a whole episode on just the Tiger King itself and why wow. it's actually, you know, a fantastic television oh, show. And um, here's a spicy, here's a spicy take. Honestly. Um, yes. Carol Basson's definitely did it oh, yes why is everybody mad at her that's, that's just my <laughs> the whole show is like Carol Baskin, right? Carol Baskin. like murder is not okay and also like why are we so mad at her <laughs> I love it well it has been a pleasure to have you on the show um I mean we hope that you will come back to us one day and you know after quarantine life and COVID-19 and you can teach us more amazing amazing things so we we appreciate you so much. Where can the people reach you if they want to reach you? I don't know if you're on the internet, if you're on the interwebs, email, social media. I don't know. I mean, Batman signal. That's a thing. Yeah, that's insane. I'm actually, I don't have a social media presence okay. actually, um, but I'm working on it because I have nothing but time nowadays. Okay. So then we'll, we'll <laughs> basically say it will be coming. So the next time you come on the show, we can yeah. be like, Hey, we'll share that then. Yeah, please. That'll be okay. awesome. Well, then there we go. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Alexandra Hughes. That's me. If you're enjoying the podcast, we ask that you like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps others discover us and become more visible to our podcasting community. If you have suggestions for future guests or would like to be featured on the podcast yourself, feel free to reach out to us by email at ascapodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at ASCA Podcast. If you'd like to connect with me on Twitter, you can find me at Alexandra's View. Talk to us. We talk back.